I don't know about the rest of you, but I might just as soon keep singing today. Thank you, Myra. Thank you to our praise team. John Mark, help me out. If a man can't preach after that, a man can't. You leave me hanging, boy? <laughs> if a man can't preach after that, a man can't preach, right? We're going to see how we do here. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Our sermon this morning is entitled, Continual. Continual, because there are things in life that are continual. We expect that some things never stop. They tell us the news never stops because, you know, people are always up to things. We know time never stops from morning to evening and again. We know that our breathing, once we're alive, never stops. And if your heart stops, well, we'll see you in heaven. But while you're on earth, you don't have to think about your heart beating. It just keeps going. It's continual. And even things like our kids growing up and senior recognition, and I was doing fine until Lily got a little emotional, then I got emotional because I thought about these sweet children and how long I've known them, and they were chubby cheek toddlers, all of them, I think. And now they're well-spoken, confident, competent young adults. Now I'm going to get touched again, sorry. Going out into the next chapter of life. And what a privilege it is for us as a church family to be part of their family. To have taught them in Sunday school, to have been with them in the nursery, maybe even to change some of their diapers. We've been around that long, and that's what it means to belong together. It's a joy, church. It's a joy. And I'm proud of them, and I'm going to have to gather myself again before I keep on going. But if you haven't already, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Because kids grow up, and time moves on, and things continue to go forward. And if you're able to, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we read through this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 5, verse 12, through the end of the chapter in verse 42. Believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Verse 17, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. Uh, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what could have come of this. Then someone said to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Verse 27, 
Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He gave you, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us, to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied around him. He was killed, all his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded him. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. Then they ordered him not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we're so thankful that you give us your word so that we might learn about you and how you call us to live as followers of Jesus. We're so thankful that you call us together as a church, that we can be a body of believers that loves and cares for, encourages, teaches, and instructs one another. And as we come today and open your word, we pray as always that by your spirit, the same spirit that moved in the book of Acts, you'd move among us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. You have a summary statement at the top of your outline. And that summary statement says this, that the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners. Very simply, the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners. Now, we know that the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. We're all sinners. We know that the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And any of us can accept that gift of Jesus. We know that the Bible says that God so loved the world, that's everyone, that whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. That's everyone. And we know that the Bible says that God demonstrates His own love to us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We're all sinners, and Jesus saves all sinners. That's the gospel in essence. And everything that the apostles were about and the expansion of the church in the book of Acts is based on that. 
It's called the Spirit, the church, and the world. That God sent the Holy Spirit in order to fill believers, the church, in order that they might share the gospel to reach those who are still lost and in the world. And that mission continues today. It's continual. But let's look at the first point on your outline. The first point is this, is that is that miracles continue. Miracles continue. We won't read every verse again just based on the length of the passage, but we had to keep it together for continuity's sake. Notice it says in verse 12 that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. They were still performing miracles. It says that people didn't want to meet with them, but then it quickly says more and more people did. So it's like they didn't want to come in the temple courts where the Jewish authorities might persecute them. But those who were new believers met with them in homes. We see that at the end of the passage of Scripture. They even brought people so that Peter's shadow would fall on them in hopes that they might be healed by Peter's shadow. And what does it say there at verse 16? It says that, Uh, they brought folks from surrounding towns and evil spirits uh, were cast out and all of them were healed. We don't see miracles like this today. Remember in the apostolic era, God used miracles to confirm the truth of the gospel and attract people to hearing the gospel. We still have the Holy Spirit today. God can still perform miraculous signs today, but it's not the same as it was then. Might be a question we'll ask God when we get to heaven, but we've got a question for us right now, and that's what miracle would convince me of God's power? In your life personally, you live your life, you know what you think, you know what you feel. Is there something that if God did it in your life or something that God did it in the world and you saw it, you would go, whoa, God is real. I wasn't so sure he was real before. I think that's just something that the pastor talks about at church and, you know, Christian people, well, whatever. But if God did that, you would go, God is real. Which would have to lead us to ask, would you really? Even if God did that miracle, would you really believe Him? Would it change your mind? Would it change your heart? Jesus saves sinners is the gospel. And God uses miracles to attract folks to the gospel, to verify and validate the message of the gospel. Let's move on in our text. Your second major point on your outline is that persecution continues. Persecution continues. It says here, and even today we see, but in verse 17 there, it says that the Sadducees, or excuse me, the Sanhedrin were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. They were using their political power. They didn't put them in their own jail. They put them in the public jail. They're a religious institution or organization. We've got to define what it means to persecute, however, because sometimes that word is thrown around inaccurately in our society today. Persecute means harassing or oppressive treatment, to pursue with harassing or oppressive treatment, especially because of religious political beliefs, ethnic or racial origin, gender identity, or sexual orientation. It's also defined as to annoy or trouble persistently. Persecution happens even today. You skip on down in that passage of Scripture in verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts and they, uh, as they had been told and began to teach the people. They weren't going to stop. They were going to continue 
to preach and teach no matter what the Sanhedrin did. Looking down towards the end of our passage of Scripture, they've come before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin tells them again, don't teach or preach anymore. Gamaliel has told them, we can't stop these guys if they're of God. But what was the response of the Sanhedrin in verse 40? To have them flogged. In America today, I don't know of many people who are persecuted to the point of being physically abused or beaten. I'm sure it's happened somewhere in America today. But in our world today, it certainly happens that folks are physically harmed, even killed in gruesome and horrific ways because they call the name Jesus. Persecution is real. It is, as my sermon title says, continual, which leads us to a question. How have I handled persecution? You may not have been beaten. You may not have been harassed, but have you been persecuted and how have you handled it? How have you responded? Did you respond with the same sort of boldness that we see from the apostles here? That they counted a privilege that they were persecuted. That they got right back up and went right back to preaching because they were persecuted. That more and more people came to them in the gospel because they were persecuted. And they rejoiced because they were persecuted. I don't know about you, that's hard to imagine. If I'm persecuted, I probably want to digress to my flesh and my worldliness rather than graciousness and godliness and boldness and persistence that the apostles demonstrated here in Acts chapter 5. Remember, it's all about the gospel that Jesus saves sinners. And our world more and more doesn't want to hear the gospel, and our world more and more needs to hear the gospel. Therefore, we need to tell the gospel to others. We need to share a veritable witness, not just live a life as a Christian witness. Yes, we need to have a good moral life and the choices we make and the things we do. But we must say the words of Jesus. We must tell people we're sinners and we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. Let's move on to your third major point on your outline there. And that's that preaching continues. These are all things that are continual. And the third one is that preaching continues. The angel let them out of jail. I skipped over that a moment ago. They were arrested, thrown in jail, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door, brought them out, and he gives them a command. He says to them, go preach. You just got thrown in jail for preaching. Keep preaching. Go back to the very place you were thrown in jail from just a few hours ago and go preach. What does it say? Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Preaching continues. Verse 42, the end of the passage. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news. That word teaching is used three times in this passage of Scripture. It's the idea of explaining the truths of the Bible. Preaching and teaching are similar, slightly different. Each would have an element of the other. But remember, because our world is continually sinful... Christ followers must continually share the gospel. Because Jesus saves sinners, 
And folks, even though they know something is wrong, they may not call themselves a sinner because nobody wants to say that about themselves. That's where we as believers in Jesus must share the message of Jesus and continue to preach and continue to teach. Which leads to your third question. How regularly do I share the gospel? In my life. We know the good news. I use it regularly. The kids learn it in VBS, the ABCs, right? Admit to God that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's son. Confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. We know verses like John 3.16 and Romans 3.23 and 6.23 and Romans 5.8 and Romans 10.9. We know these things. But we may know lots, but we fail to share it. Why is that? That we're timid, that we're fearful, that we're careless, that we're busy, that we're selfish. I'd submit this. We need to pray that our love for others would be greater than our fear of what they think about us if we share the gospel. We need to pray that we would be so in love with God and with others that we could not help but share the gospel with them. Because we can't imagine not having them in heaven with us. We love them so much on this earth, we can't imagine them being condemned to an eternity of punishment and hell. That our hearts are broken, that we must share the gospel. 1 John 3.16 says that we don't have any greater love than if we lay down our life for someone else. We lay down our life, not literally, but figuratively, When we humble ourselves and say, what you might think of me is not important, but what I think of you is of ultimate importance, and I see you as somebody made in the image of God, therefore I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to go outside my comfort zone, I'm going to share the gospel with you, even though you might get mad at me, even though you might say ugly things about me, even though you might reject me, even though you might persecute me, because I love you. We lay down our life for others by sharing the gospel message with them. It's interesting, the response, when you share the gospel message with boldness, your fourth point on your outline, fear. Fear continues. Wait a second, Pastor Aaron, who was afraid here? We got the apostles who were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, but look at the latter part of verse 26. When the captain and the officers went to arrest the apostles for the second time, what does it say? They didn't use force because they feared the people would stone them. Whoa, who was afraid of who? Verse 27, having brought the apostles and made them appear, he said, we gave you strict orders not to teach. Who was afraid? The Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews who had all the authority and power of the Roman government behind them were afraid of these men teaching the gospel because the gospel is that powerful. They said, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. They were afraid of what other people would think about them, afraid that they would lose their influence, their authority, their power, their pride got in the way. It was the Sanhedrin that was afraid of a few gospel preachers. Friends, you and I have more power than we realize, yet we're afraid to engage others with the gospel or we're afraid to stand for an issue because we don't want to offend anybody. But as we stand and as we preach, it will be those that are lost and those that are in the world that are afraid of us. 
Not because we're mean to them, but because the gospel is truth and convicts them. Which leads to that question of application for us, the fourth question on your outline. What fears control me? The Sanhedrin was controlled by fear, their desire to stay in power, their desire to keep the peace, to their desire to you know, keep the system that they were used to. But what controls you? Is it money? Is it power? Is it fear? Is it your desire to be in control and that controls the way you act? Or are you somehow more benevolent because God's worked in your heart and you seek to be controlled by grace and love and mercy forgiveness and hope and faith and you're filled with courage by the Holy Spirit so they continued with miracles they continued in persecution the preaching continued the fear of the Sanhedrin continued the fifth continuation in this sermon is the boldness continues they tell him not to preach again and what does Peter say verse 29 we must obey God rather than men and then he lays it on them. Were you all listening when I read this earlier? He says, the God of our fathers, he's Jewish, they're Jewish. Raised Jesus from the dead. They didn't want to hear that. Whom you had killed by hanging him on the tree. They certainly didn't want to hear that. God exalted him and he begins to lay out one thing after the other that the Sanhedrin didn't want to hear. He was in their face, man. He was brutal. He didn't hold back any punches. And we're witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you're trying us like this as a court of law. We've got our witnesses. You can't deny this. The boldness of Peter standing in front of them. The world's continually sinful. Christ's followers must continually share the gospel. The gospel is Jesus saves sinners. And so I'd ask us the question, fifth question on your outline. How can I prepare to speak boldly? We look at this and go, whoa, Peter, I'm not a Peter. I'm not the rock on whom the church would be built. He laid it down. He nailed them again and again. He was unapologetic. He was straight up. He was unabashed. He was, he was crazy, man. What about you? How would you prepare your heart to speak so boldly with such love and such passion that you're not afraid of what anybody's going to think because you know they're lost sinners and they need to be saved? Your time with Jesus makes all the difference. The time you spend reading God's word to get God's perspective on life, the time you spend praying to hear God speak deep to your heart to encourage you, the time you spend in any other spiritual discipline you practice should change you. The time we spend gathering together as a church to worship and to study God's Word, the time we spend in Sunday school and small groups in order to study and be life on life with one another and change one another. Let's get to our sixth and final point here, and that's that reason has its day. Gamaliel, who taught the Apostle Paul, hushes the Sanhedrin. He's a man of authority and respect. We've got some people like that in our congregation, and if that person speaks, everybody else listens. You've got somebody like that in your family. And when that person speaks because of their character and who they are, everybody else listens. When Gamaliel spoke, everyone listened. And he said, here's an example of some guys that led this revolt. That one failed. Here's another example of guys that led a revolt. That one failed. But what's he say? Down in verse 38. 
Therefore, in this present case, I advise you leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose is uh, or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. In the midst of miracles and persecution and preaching and fear and boldness, one man had the courage to stand up and say, this might not be what we expect. This might be from God, and if it's from God, we're not going to be able to stop it. So calm down, fellas. I know they made you angry. I know you want to put them to death. I know you have the authority. You did it with Jesus who they're preaching about. But maybe we need to see what God does here. Which leads to that sixth application question for us. Who do I need to listen to when fearful? Do you have a Gamaliel in your life? Somebody that when your mind is all full of reasons and questions and not enough answers and too many voices and too much anxiety, that that's the person you need to speak to. You can read your Bible, you can pray, yes, you should do those, but I'm talking about is there somebody else in your life that you know, a family member, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ that has the character and has the maturity that they will listen to you and they will offer counsel to you when you need it to encourage you to slow down and see what God's going to do, just like Gamaliel did here. We've got two concluding statements on your outline today. And the first one is, when I share the gospel, some people won't like it. Well, yeah, we saw that here. It's going to happen today, too. When you share a verbal witness and you confront somebody in their sinfulness, they're going to get mad at you. They might not like you. But your second statement When people don't like it, I'll continue to share the gospel. You don't stop just because they don't like it. They're still lost. They're still going to hell. They still need the love of Jesus to make a difference in their life every day from now to the time they take their last breath. And you and I have that message. We should share it continually. Just like the breath we breathe the dreams we dream, the thoughts we think, our heart that beats. It should be who we are in Christ. Let's read that scripture memory verse, the last verse of our passage today as we conclude today. The world's continually sinful. Christ followers continually got to share the gospel that Jesus saves sinners. Let's say it together. Acts 5.42 Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 5, 42. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, because of the world we live in, because of the folks we are, there are some messages that are harder to hear than others. They make us uncomfortable, but it's in your word. And it's for our good. And when we talk about something like sharing the gospel, we realize it's for the good of the entire world. And it's a message you've entrusted to us to share. 
Because the world is lost, Christ's followers got to share that Jesus saved sinners. Because all have sinned, Christ's followers have got to share that Jesus saves sinners. God, make that a continual habit in our life. That we're inviting people into a relationship with us, inviting people to church and Sunday school and home groups, that we're inviting people to consider a personal relationship with Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.